You're listening to the After The Show Movie Podcast from ascully.com. You can find this podcast on the iTunes Music Store, Google Play, YouTube, Voice Assistance, just say listen to After The Show Movie Podcast, and you can also find us on ascully.com where we post written reviews. With that out of the way, here are your hosts, Ascully and Sid Talk. Hello and welcome, Sid Talk. Hello, Sid Talk. Hello, hello. You sure you want to talk to me, not sit just talk, yourself? Sit talk, sit talk. Yes. Hello. I don't need repetition. We've discussed this. I'm doing that thing. You know what? I understand. You, no, you know what? We. I don't like it. You don't like it. Where mm-hmm. people say your name all the time. Yep, I don't. And I don't like, hello, hello, hello. One, hello, two, three. Hello. One, two, three. Hello, One, two, three. How are you? No hello, one else hello. does either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> what, what are you saying? Continue. What were you saying? I wasn't saying anything. I'm saying stop repeating things. I'm saying <laughs> I'm saying hello to the listeners, to you, to everybody here. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so what's the before? What what were we talking about before? This story, pretty much, that goes with this movie. The story of this movie. Yeah. Well, well we should have waited to talk about that. Working until. on our own individual um, projects. True. I wasn't working on any project though. Hmm. Maybe you. So were. you're useless. <laughs> I'm working on some. I was putting together our outline thing. All right, so it is after the show, your favorite movie podcast. Are we your favorite? You talking to me? Is it your favorite? I don't listen to any podcasts, including this one, so I don't have a favorite. Well. (laughs) I'm out of the loop. I even listen to ours. I mean, I barely listen while we're doing it, so you think I'm really going to (laughs) go push the button and like... Make the effort? Come on. Well, that's not, that's not, that's not, <laughs> you're not playing with the team. <laughs> I'm, oh my God. Are you trying to really dig at everything? You're pushing every button here, mate. Yep. The repetition, the call in my name constantly, and now referring to whatever I belong to as a team, which is a very <laughs> sore spot at my job right this minute. I was but doing hey, it on purpose. I know. That's another thing. Carry on. All right, so it is Saturday, September the 14th. This is after the show, 599. So our special 600 show, Sid Talk, with a total enthusiasm for this show, <laughs> is going to go back from number one, podcast number one, and edit together all 500 shows worth of highlights. The show be will be 600 shows. 600, sorry. Mm-hmm. The show will... Uh, be released next week on iTunes. It will be 784 hours long. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> that's, not, that's not the truth. We're and if you're asking me to pick the best bits, it's going to be me. Yeah, me, me, actually, me, me, me. Actually, this is not a joke. I was discussing this with Sid Talk. Um, so, somebody mentioned that we should edit all the best bits together. And she said, I quote, <laughs> not joking or even listen. She wasn't joking. She said, you know the part where I say, um, the, you know, my end sign-off? We could just do all 600 of that. And I was like... I did not say all 600. <laughs> that is a misquote. You're exaggerating. It could I be a three-hour long podcast. That would be cute. 
<laughs> and then you're like, eh. and I said, oh, how about when, my advice, like little clips of my advice. And then I said something about in the beginning when I say something, you go, so it, this is all about you. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, it, actually, the only suggestions were the parts where you yeah, talk. To be fair, that's the main part I listen to because that's what I'm saying. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh, our what we will do for a special 600th show is not do anything special. And that will make we're rebels. Your, your life easier. <laughs> we are rebels. It is. Anyway, so the movie we're looking at this week, we are a movie review podcast, in case we didn't mention it, is Welcome to Marwin. It's a... Actually, it came out this year. 2019 movie. It was a 2018 movie in the theaters. It's out now on Blu-ray. It's PG-13 from our friends at Universal. And uh, they sent us a copy for review. And Sid Talk will give you the synopsis... And then I will go and find the Blu-ray and read off the back of it. It's based on a true story of a guy who was brutally beaten, left with no memory, and then his coping mechanism was, as an artist, which he was before, to take photographs of like dolls like Barbies, but not Barbies, but that size, doing like little vignettes from World War II. And some other photographer caught wind of it and then was like, oh, my God, look at these amazing pictures you've been taking of your world you've created. And then there's a documentary and blah, blah, blah. And now there's a movie. All right. And I will read the, the synopsis off the back of the box, too. And you can compare and contrast with Sid Talk's synopsis. Academy Award winner Robert Zemeckis, Forrest Gump Castaway. Is that his full name? Robert <laughs> Zemeckis, Forrest Gump Castaway? <laughs> Brings- no, that, may, that explains a lot. <laughs> He brings Welcome to Marwin, a bold, wondrous, and timely film that is a miraculous true story of one man's broken fight. Oh, sorry, I said it wrong. Of mm-hmm. one broken man's fight as he discovers how artistic imagination can restore the human spirit. There you go. Okay. Pretty good. Yours was good. Theirs was good. Theirs wasn't too um, revealing. Mine was better. Always. Mm-hmm. It will always be better. Um, I'm so, sick of people acting like you're not supposed to have any confidence. Fuck off, everybody. If you don't like yourself and you don't want people to think you think they're acting cocky or arrogant, maybe you ought to think about that. Get a little confidence of your own. Now, let me tell you where. I'm not always right, but I'm pretty sure I'll act like I am. This uh, The movie where we just watched Welcome to Marvin. Marvin. I loved it. You keep calling it Marvin. Marvin. <laughs> Welcome to Marvin. <laughs> Multiple times. Welcome to Marvin. I loved it. I know you did. I could tell. I really loved it. Um, m- apparently, I- I'm in the minority of loving this movie. But me, that's fine. Me and you together. I loved it too. So yeah. we'll go with that. Um, it, it it didn't do very well at the box office. And we were just analyzing that in a, you know, trying to figure out like why we liked it so much, but why it might not catch on with a general audience. And I think you um, were correct in what mm-hmm. you said. What did you say? I usually am. And, uh, well, you actually said it first. You read it from someone's review. So I can't take credit for it. But understanding that people don't like to confront emotions that are difficult to cope with. And this guy is coping with some hardcore emotions and confusion. And the way he's dealing with it is all... It can be intimidating to people to see somebody living their life in what they think is a weird way. There's a grown man with a little village outside in his yard and he's crawling in the mud taking pictures and he wears women's shoes. You know, that guy's fucking crazy. You know, like, 
how could you ever sympathize with that guy? He's a loser. That would be a mentality that pushes back against what it's trying to say is that he's he's coping the best he can in the world. And everyone else should try to do that too. As long as you're not hurting somebody, right? But people don't like the uncomfortable things. <laughs> like to be traumatized, you're supposed to kind of like suck it up, right? And be just move on and make it look like everything's fine on the outside. And this guy didn't, doesn't. And I think that would make a lot of people like, I said, these days, unfortunately, the climate of every, what you hear and feel around is that the people will sympathize somewhat more with the men who attacked him than with him. And I think that's another reason. It's very scary, but I think that's not everyone, of course, but a larger majority would have anger enough to want to do what they did. Now, what I really liked about it is, and I, th- I said to you at the end, it's, it's quite a complicated issue and subject that it's covering. Very. But it covers it in a way that it is... Oh, another film that was... Uh, what was the one with, like, Gandalf and it was, like, in a mental institution? Remember? Mm-hmm. That one also had that, like, people like kind of going outside themselves to try and fix an issue mentally, like by doing something that might be a... Yeah, and it doesn't look to everyone else it like... It looks like you're just mental. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's, you know, it's been... The way this movie does it, the framing mechanism of these... I don't know. We've not mentioned this yet, but like, what? Like 60%, 70% maybe of this movie is a CG action figure movie like the people in the movie in his mind well he's also making these figures <laughs> you said it's three layered it's like there it's, really are dolls yeah there really is him and then there is his fantasy his of imagination what yeah the stories he's telling with the dolls and it's real subtle i think in the way the transition like there's these really cool transitions in between should we call them figures or dolls i think the I think they're dolls, actually, aren't they? Because they're, like, articulated. They're like Barbies or Ken's. They're like Barbie, yeah. Yeah. I think she even calls them dolls when he goes to the model shop to pick Mm. them up. Yeah, true. So, yeah, he's basically, in real life, this guy, uh, Mark Hogenkamp, he is a photographer who photographs these miniatures that he makes. um, And it's not just miniature figures. It's miniature buildings and... Tables and chairs, you know. So when you look at one of his pictures, it's all models. But he, it takes you like a split second to go, wait a minute. Yeah, it's not real because it he, looks pretty good. Yeah, and he, but like usually the subject of the photo is something like, well, it's about the it's about World War Two, but it might be something horrific that that he shows, including like a, a depiction of like him being beaten by a by the these five nazis which is like in his mind like him being beaten in real life by these five assholes right yeah exactly so they're quite cap they're quite you know they're saying something in his photographs if you tie them to his story it's like toy story in world war ii right <laughs> it really not is. in the bedroom yeah, yeah. so you know 70%, I would say, 60-70% of this movie is this CGI world that is like Action Man and Barbie. I think you called it G.I. Joe, didn't you? Came to life 
and they're they've got personalities and he, it's playing out in his mind how he it's like his like idealized version of what he wants to happen like how he wants himself to be and how other people around him would be um some people i saw in the reviews saying like well this guy is just like really sexist he has the the dolls with no tops on and stuff it's like people can't watch with a whole brain. No. They they only watch with like a little tiny segment of their this, brain. This guy's like sexuality kind of creeps into the world because it's him, isn't it? Like his whole thing, like right. So and he's he, lonely. He likes watching pornography. It's it's mentioned in this movie, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. you even see him looking at one. So and it adds like a, a f- it's kind of funny that when it happens. But there's some parts of it, this movie, where it. Goes, you know, when um, Leslie Mann comes to see him and it's raining outside and he says, oh, that's why I put those shoes on you. And she goes, you put the shoes on the doll, right? I like that. Like, yeah. Where, where it's like people reminding him that that's not real what you do. But it's also reminding us that he's blending reality yeah. and, fa- and this fiction in his mind. And it also makes it clear he's on medication in the movie. You see, uh, I figured I kind of caught on to that immediately when her, the late, the witch... The witch doll who floats around in his head, you know, around, had a blue arm and all of his pills were very strikingly blue. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's, that's the addiction. That's the pills. That's his need for whatever. So I figured that one out. Because all the other dolls slash figures represent a real person in his life except yeah. for that one. So I really liked how it parallels his real life to to this imaginary thing that he's having in his mind. But this imaginary thing in his mind is idealized for him. You know, he wears the high heels in this thing because he likes to in real life. And he's not judged on it. None of the people say, oh, why are you wearing high heels? It's like how he wants things to be. Yeah. And the the late, it's all women around him because like he find you know, he even says, doesn't he, at one point that women, what does he say? Women are the... Saviors of the world. The saviors of the world. Like he, re, women are his thing. Like he... He calls them dames, doesn't he? Like this old timey thing. <laughs> well, he's going with the fifth, you know, the forties. Yeah, and... but I, I mean... didn't have any issue with his vision of what the women represent, and that they're dolls that are like the super skinny Barbie kind of dolls. I didn't even think about that because when I am co- when I'm in the story and convinced that this character, I mean, it's based on a real person, but then Zemeckis takes it more fictional, right? Yeah. So this character is coping with the world and his trauma in a very specific way that's very specific to him. And even if you're telling the story in a film and it's on a big screen and the whole world's going to see it, I'm trying to see it from that character's point of view. And that character has nothing to answer for to anyone of any kind. No political correctness, no rules of engagement, no limits on the physicality or the physics of the world that he is imagining. There are no limits. And also it's him. It's not us. It's not society. It's not new age thinking. It's not old school thinking. It's very specific. And so I think when you can think Beyond, you know, think with more of your brain than just the part that filters out everything in the world that you don't like and sort of open that up. Um, I got it. Like, I totally understood that he had to create everything very, very, very specifically. Otherwise, he felt threatened and afraid. And And so I I got it. And I like, like, when you're back in the real world in this movie, all the women, like, 
he doesn't really know many people. He's kind of a loner. There's a lady who comes to, like, a government care worker, right? Who comes once a month. I don't think she's government, no. She's, like, from a company. Well, well, it said it on her back, something about... There's a company. Right. So she, a lady comes once a month to check on him. She's a Russian lady. Well, she's the lady from Game of Thrones. Yeah, he's Gwendolyn Christie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what um, is she called in the show? In Game of Thrones, Brienne. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, all these women in his life, they're all strong in their own way. They're all different. I, I really like the lady who is, he has a job in a bar. The lady who hangs around, hangs out within the kitchen. She just like understands what, that there's something going on with him, but she just like talks to him as though it's all real. Like, right. She just. She asks him questions. She wants to know what's right, happening. Right, but she also understands that as he's talking about these people, he's talking about real life. Yeah. But he's using the language of telling the story through his doll. It's complex. You said it's a very complex and, story to tell about a very complicated issue. And you have to really just keep opening that mind, you know, to so you kind of grasp what's really going on. And that's what I felt she was doing. She knows now I can't just talk to him straight up. I have to talk to him about these he's characters. He's comfortable with me. Yeah, and he's going to tell me about these characters, but he's really telling me about himself, you know, but she kind of gets that internally. And the other lady also had that same, the model shop lady. She was the same. She understands what's mm. going on with him. I think that she, more than the one in the restaurant, she digs him. She, ro- so, I, she liked him, like, as a... Yeah, so she kind of gives him the, like, you know, yesterday was tough, but, you know, like, you can't avoid... He was doing an art show, because in the movie, he is a photographer and has an art show, which in real life, the guy has real photography, you know, art shows and galleries and whatnot, and he's afraid to go, and she's just like, you just have to go. And, like, you have to tell me now if you're going to go. Like, she doesn't coddle him or baby him so much as the lady in the restaurant kind of plays with the whole narrative he needs, you know? So So different people treat him different ways. I like that. The bunch of ladies in real life, there's a doll for each of them in his imaginary world. And they've all got the... What I found fascinating about it is the way it was done, the CG, like... They impose the faces over the top of the dolls. You might think that sounds weird. Just the eyeballs and the mouth. Nothing else. But it looks really good. It does look good. There are times when it's a little weird, but most of the time it's really good. Most of the time you're looking at it. Well, I think all of the time. I I thought... This movie also opens on this, like, amazing action sequence. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't really know what we were watching. And it opens with him flying in on this plane. And then you see his face and you're like, well, that is Steve Carell, but what... That's a little bit... It's CG or something? Yeah, I, 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 I was trying to up. Yeah, I was trying to, like, what, what are we doing here? What is this? And there's this big action sequence which ends up with him, with these ladies rescuing him and him wearing some high heels walking across the thing. It's it's funny. It's kind of Toy Story-ish in a way. Mm-hmm. It's got this funny thing, but it's a bit more kind of grown up than Toy Story. Even though Toy Story does at times try and tell an adult story, doesn't it? Like a Oh, yeah. But this is doing that too, and it's like, you're like, wow, this is really cool. And then the camera pulls back, and it's looking through his lens, taking the photos of this, and you're like, oh. And then it uses that framing thing quite a few times during the movie. I've, I found it really good. And the actual characters, you know, they're like the pinup girls that you look on the side of. I've said to you, I really like that aesthetic. You know, the pinup girls. Sexist. On the, yeah. 
for the actual art of the pinup oh, Look, girls. I'm married to someone and I can't think like, oh, you like the pinup girls. I'm just like, well, they are cool. The actual 1950s artwork on the side of planes. I've always found it 40s. fascinating. 40s, yeah. And, you know, they painted it on bombs, didn't they, that they dropped. Mm-hmm. And it's just an interesting thing that was like, you know, well, I'm, I'm guessing it still is, right? Not everyone would agree with you, but I understand where you're coming from. I bet it still is now, right? I mean, they still probably do that on planes and stuff in today's world. Because it's like a military tradition kind of thing. Mm, I don't know. But anyway, these girls in this, the dolls, they're all kind of pin-up girls. They've got like different personalities, they're different races, they're different. They're all, they're all very spunky, would you call it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, they've all got like a bit of an attitude. Um... But they're really well animated. It's really well crafted, actually. And and it goes kind of crazy in, in parts. There's like big action scenes. You know you know what I'm talking about. Yep. I don't want to spoil it, but the the end part is a big action scene. It's like watching, you know, the action scene from an end of a movie. But then it cuts out to this real world guy. And it's really sad in parts also. Did you find it moving? It's multi-layered. It is complicated. There's various... I cried, yes. I cried because of what terrible things people do to each other and about our absolute lack of being taught or nurtured from the time we're born to have endless compassion for people. Now, I am not a compassionate person, so I'm not saying I'm not all kumbaya and shit. I'm just, I'm not the type to go hear somebody's sob story. And my immediate thought is actually like, hmm, well, where did you screw up? What did you do wrong along the way? Because chances are that's reality, right? I have that mentality. At the same time, I do not want people to suffer at the hands of others or inside themselves where they have no way of communicating that with others. So that always, that kind of gets to me, like the thought of somebody just feeling so, well, we found out later, like the real guys, the real guy got cut off from healthcare because he had no insurance, right? We didn't know that while we're watching the movie, but it was clear he didn't have any other counseling or structure or anything to cope. And so that really got to me, just the thinking about like, wow, when people are truly alone, and there's something very wrong, you know. Yeah, because that's the, so that's like sad to the core of your heart. And you actually see like the the incident in this movie, like in real life. Yeah, little clips of it in real life. Uh, I just read the whole real life story. Mm. This guy uh, Mark got drunk in a bar. There were guys there. He was. You know, it's not even made clear in the movie if he's gay or what, but but he mentions that he wears women's shoes in the bar, right? And these guys here overhear that, and, they, and basically, it's a hate crime. Basically, so they're beating he's up because gay. they're saying he's gay, right? And then they beat him to within an inch of his life into a coma. Actually, he loses, and he he actually in real life lost. He couldn't remember anything before the beating at all, including the fact that he was married for five years. He couldn't remember what his wife looked like when he, he said when he saw photos of his wife, he, he was like, "Wow, she's really hot." Like he, but he they were already divorced, right? True, and he was an alcoholic when this all he happened. Didn't remember, he was alone. He didn't remember being an alcoholic. Yeah. He didn't remember all of those. Like everything went out of his mind. And I said to you, and you, we was talking about it. Like that's like you know a plot device in a movie where you're like, oh. 
come on, come as on. if somebody read yeah. <laughs> No, that, that stuff happens. Like, And when you do go back and read the real life story of this guy, you know, it is portrayed in this movie as what happened. Obviously, all this stuff is, did it happen inside his mind? Did it not? Only he would be able to tell you those things. But um, it's just a horrible hate crime. And this movie did, it also is a bit of a courtroom drama. It's got the courtroom thing going on, hasn't it? Like mm-hmm. where he, you know, they don't really show you what happened to those guys in the movie. I'm not sure why they made the decision of not to. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because they don't, do they? I mm. mean, I was watching the movie going, okay. I think because the point isn't about how... Th- like him that, getting revenge or something. Yeah, and that doesn't change anything. Hearing that the person who assaulted you gets six months, nine months, nine years in prison, that will not take away what's broken. Like, that's two separate things. Yeah. Because then it's like, that's them, and this is me, and there's nothing... If their sentence was like a relief of all of your own symptoms, then basically you're waiting on them. Like, they're still in control of your life. And so I think the idea was, we don't give a shit about these losers. Like, fuck them. They're going to jail. We already know that. This is just the sentencing. So we're just over that. All we care about is what they left behind. So it's a fascinating um, real-life story. And I think this movie... Because it is hard to, you know, we've seen many movies where it's dealing with things inside people. And it's often hard to express it unless you have a outlet to it. Like, mm-hmm. And this movie uses the models. And interestingly enough, you might think, well, that'd be super depressing. But no, it like injects humor into it. It injects like sexiness. It injects compassion, like, relationship. All that stuff is in within those models you know, and those models, they like come to life. I don't find them creepy at all. Some people said they was too creepy for them. They weren't. Now, Polar Express, those were some creepy motherfuckers. Yeah, and that those was, that was the mechanics like. too. Yeah. That was because those were 100% CG. And they and he even said what we figured out was the problem with the eyes and the mouth and not expressing. He didn't mention Polar Express. No, but I think that's when he I was figured like, it out. Yeah, those were creepy as that's hell. That's when he figured it out, though, right? That was, yeah. people said to him, that's a bit weird. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I didn't find them creepy. I found them really endearing, like, and they were all looking, like, it was just interesting the way it was, and the, you know, Nazis are portrayed in this, it's off, that's often a touchy thing too, but mm-hmm. they kind of portray cartoonish, you know, like, like they do in, think, you know, Quentin Tarantino even made them cartoonish, didn't he? Yeah. Um, but it's not controversial like that, you know, it's not, it's not like it. You know, it's a PG-13. Would you let kids see this? Like, I think it's... That's Um, that... There's where the thing is. It's it's quite grown-up subject. It's grown-up, but it's handled in a way that actually explains what they're trying to get across. And I think someone with issues, hard to cope with, will identify more with it. Right. You know? Yeah. So any anybody of any age with issues who can't communicate it well, I think, I don't know, because I don't know them all, there's probably a lot, um, it kind of speaks to something deeper in you, I think, than just that superficial, here's the guy who got beat up, and da 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 and those guys went to jail, ta-da, the end. You know, I mean, that appeals to a certain superficial layer of movie watching, and this is more like digging way down there. Yeah, I really, uh, one of my favorite things is where he... You know, the lady who moves in across the road, she's like, you know, kind of like a, she's almost like a doll. 
yeah. in real life and he sees her and you know they they start speaking to each other and become friends and that scene where he goes over there with the purple heart i'll just say that oh dear it's just really like so it's sad. very real to me that, that somebody would do that like it yep and then the her I have to give it to her that her, her whole it's awkward that the way it's, <laughs> yes the way, the way she did it was like really perfect yeah so um let's get on to the cast here uh Steve Carell plays Mark Hogenkamp I've said to you before I think Steve Carell's a really good actor we saw him in that movie called Foxcatcher yep where he was excellent that was a serious movie too seriously um, seriously and, serious and you know you're used to Steve Carell in funny stuff aren't you like The Office I mean that that's where people mainly know him from but it, he can do the serious stuff too and here I think he captured it just right he didn't go over the top it wasn't like Three Stooges or something like he was <laughs> you know like or somebody could play it a bit too you know it was mm-hmm. he's just like this like shy introverted dude who's had this massive trauma and he's working on it and i think he really the nuances of him was really good for me like special almost you know i agree he's um i think is he underrated or is he like i think so yeah i mean if people didn't flock to this movie simply for his performance on a large scale then i would say yeah yeah because like you know we've all seen him in anchorman and the office and he's funny but He's good at not being but funny. But what's funny too. about him in the office is he's broken. Awkward and broken. Well, he's broken and yeah. he's so sad and he's ultimately a good person, like super good person, right? Yeah. Whatever his name is, Michael. Michael Inside, Scott. he's sort of got an innocence and a goodness, but it's covered up with layers and layers of like, this is what I'm, this is what I'm supposed to be. This Inappropriateness. Is also. Yeah. So I think he does that well too. I mean, I always picked up on all that. But this one is... It's different, and he's really. I I I wasn't thinking of Steve Carell after a while. You know, I was like, "Wow, this guy." Eliza Gonzalez plays Kali Kalala, Kalala. Um, we know her from Dust Till Dawn, the series. And you know, if I had anything to uh, wrong about this movie, if I had anything to complain about, which I don't, because I really loved it, was you know. Hit the characters, the the real life women in this movie. You don't get much with time with them. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know the lady who is his physiotherapist lady? Yeah. Like, you literally see her in one scene, right? And then you see her as a doll the rest of the time. But I think that's good. Because that it's all him. It's not about them. Right. It's about his perception of what an impact they made on him. It's not about that woman or her story. We know she lost a leg in Iraq. That's all we need to know. And that she was right there with him. She's trying to help him. She's got one leg and she's trying to help him learn to walk again. And she's got his back. And that's how he sees her. Like the tough, like the front woman on all these missions that they do. She's the toughest one of all. Yeah. That's all we need to know. I don't think we should go into any of them deeper. We get the little clip of them. And then you're like, boom, that's the impression they made on him. That's what matters. Then Leslie Zemeckis, who I was like, oh, here's Robert Zemeckis's daughter. <laughs> Turns out she's actually his wife. So you're close-minded and sexist. <laughs> you're ageist and sexist. Anyway, Leslie Zemeckis is his wife. I've, she's been in other Robert Zemeckis movies, including Polar Express. Probably as a creepy-looking... Well, 
nobody was real in that, right? Um, she plays Suzette. These are the women, anyway. Marette Weaver plays Roberta, who you really liked. Roberta, right, from the model shop. Yes. Gwendolyn Christie plays Anna. She's the care worker lady. Stephanie Von Fitten plays Wendy. The care worker lady is, what's her face? Brianna. Gwendolyn Christie. Captain Phasma. Yeah, but not so much as she is. And he knighted her, so she's now Sir Brienne. (laughs) Yes. Don't forget that part. I forgot that part. (laughs) Um, Janelle Monet, who you will know as the mother from Moonlight, which is a fantastic movie. She plays G.I. Julie. And the um, Diane Kruger plays the fairy lady, right? The um, is that who that is? Diane Kruger. The fairy lady. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't have known that until no, the extra. But Diane Kruger's from uh, Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. You'll remember her from. And Leslie Mann, who I think is amazing in this movie. <laughs> I think she was. She's like perfect casting. And when I first saw her, I was like, oh, she, I'm used to her being really funny. And I hope she doesn't go funny, like overboard funny. She does not. She dials all that back, right? She's not doing improvisation. She's doing, like, she's just this sweet lady across the way. She's kind of sweet, right? Yeah, a little But she's naive. also really troubled. Like. Oh, so, yes. Um, there's a backstory to her which un- unfolds during these... Just during very, very scenes. superficially, again, all he needed to know were, like, two key things about her, maybe three. And then he absorbed her into his mind and into his world without any more information about her. Yeah. And that's all we get as well. But some of the backstory, you know, she's got this dickhead guy hanging around. But she takes um, Mark for what he is. Like, she, like for instance, he says, I wear high heels. And she's like, he's like, Dude, does that offend you or something? And she's like, no, no. Like, and then she brings him some of her high heels, right? So it's like... You know, she's... Did you like her in it? Yeah. Did you find her exceptional? Because I did. And I, I don't I've, know about I've liked her all along. Exceptional, but I felt 100% she was the right performer for that job. But then I didn't see anyone else in it. But from other movies we've seen her in, she is. And we've seen her in real life behind the scenes. Isn't she married to your man, Paul Rudd? No, she's married to Judd Apatow. Judd Apatow. That's what I meant. Judd Apatow. <laughs> the guy who ran, does the movies. But he... Yeah. We've seen them in action in real life, and she's kind of like, hmm, you know, <laughs> lets the kids do whatever, and she's sort of like just wants to please everybody, and um, I think that kind of carries on into her character here. She reminded me kind of of, um, and this movie in a way reminded me of this movie. You've seen the movie Pleasantville? Mm-hmm. Um, you know Jason Bateman's wife in uh, Ozark? Laura Linney. Yeah. Laura Linney in Pleasantville. Um, she kept reminding me of her. Mm. You get what I'm saying? No. Is it Laura Linney in Pleasantville? Or am no. I mixing movies up? No, it's that other lady. Am I talking about the Truman Show, possibly? Yes, she's in the Truman Show. Yeah. Well, you know the act that she's putting on in the Truman Show, the perfect wife yeah. to Truman? Um, that's kind of how Leslie Mann came across at first. I was like... Everything that Mark wants is in this woman. She's like perfect, right? Right. But it might be a facade or something. <laughs> That's what I well, kept thinking. Well, it's again, it's through his eyes, and so we're only seeing what he sees. 
We're yeah. not see we see the picture that he sees of her past trauma. We see a tiny little glimpse of the guy through his own window as he's spying on them across the street. And we only see his experience with the guy. That's it. And so I feel like that is enough to get what he needs from her as a person. I also like the fact that she has some trauma as well. We saw it. There's a dead son. She's got an asshole. Ex-boyfriend. No, she wasn't even boyfriend. She said she only dated him for yeah, a short period. This of guy's time. an asshole, though, and he's hanging around. Um, this trauma and how she deals with it is she's into tea and yeah. teapots. <laughs> yeah. And collecting teapots. And, you know, it's a thing. Like, it's like his thing and he can see it. And it's just really, it's, I don't know, lovely in a way. Oh. Um, it, there's a lot of layers to this movie. And now I'm thinking about it. There's more to it than you think. Mm-hmm. So this is directed by Robert Zemeckis. You might know him from these movies. Forrest Gump, Castaway. Oh, Castaway. <laughs> That's a story in and of itself. We yeah. went to see Castaway. We were one of the last people there. And we sat in the third row, second row from the back. Uh, they didn't turn the lights off and they didn't shut the door. And the movie started... And these two older ladies, we'll say older because I'm guessing 60s, maybe 70 years old, they get in right behind us, chit-chatting, chit-chatting. The movie starts, lights are fully on, doors fully open. Here comes the star of one of the stars of the show, and the lady behind us goes, oh, Helen Hunt. Yeah, they were commentators. It's as if you were sitting in their living room (laughs) and they just wanted to tell the whole fucking world who's coming on the screen. And so ever since then, every time we do see Helen Hunt, one of us will say, oh, Helen Hunt. I do like Castaway. It's pretty good. (laughs) Well, after they turn the lights off and close the door. After we saw her on DVD eventually. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, Oh, that was such a shitty day because you were super uncomfortable. It smelled weird in there. It was hot and like kind of sweaty. Yeah, it was. Oh, my God. It was funny. Um, <laughs> it had been raining also, so everyone smelled kind of wet. <laughs> Great movie watching experience. You're never going to forget the uh, Back to the Future trilogy, which Robert Zemeckis also did. No. Um, they're not all the best. I don't like the third movie at all. Do you? The Wild West one? Mm, I mean, I'm pretty just hooked on the first one, to be honest. I like so. the second one as well, though. I do like one and two. Um, but the third one never did it for me at all. Maybe you have to see it again. I don't know. Uh, Death Becomes Her, which is one of your favorites. Mm-hmm. And Romancing the Stone. Robert Zemeckis has made a lot of movies. Polar Express. Welcome to Marwin. <laughs> um, so what do you think of him here? I, I think he has a technical vision of things that kind of goes beyond each time. Something you've never seen before. And then... Some I people just, say that about James Cameron. Yeah, but Zemeckis was first. And so, you know, that's Cameron didn't make it up. Neither did Zemeckis, I'm just saying, chronologically speaking. Um, and there's something about him that brings out this sappy, overly emotional, sort of hyperbolic human condition thing. Would you say schmaltzy? A little schmaltzy, a little, um, but then it, like Forrest it's easy Gump. to identify with because you're just like, oh, the humanity of it all, <laughs> you know, like I you, think. Like you can't help be touched by it in yeah. some way. Yeah. Um, I, I really enjoy his, 
going back and just looking at what movies he's made, I was like, yeah, I enjoyed that one and that one and that one and that one. You know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. like, so I obviously like him. And this one, even though it didn't catch on with people, maybe it will. Like now it's on streaming services, all that kind of thing. You know, maybe people will pick it. Maybe just the fact that Steve Carell's on the cover, they'll start watching it. You know? Maybe something massive was on on the theatres the weekend this opened that killed it. Could have been that. I don't know. I'm convinced people wouldn't love it. Yeah. I'm always uh, surprised. I always like it when I like something so much. And then I find out that other people don't. Because I'm like, oh. What's wrong with me? Yeah. What's wrong with them? What's right with me? What's wrong with those people? (laughs) What's wrong with all those idiots? Um, So... Let me look at some... Oh, IMDb reviews. This would probably be interesting for this movie, to be honest. So this movie is universally not liked. Not universally, because we liked it. Yeah. But, you know, the, mm-hmm. the unwashed mass- masses. Uh, all right, so what's the IMDb reviews? Uh, in this podcast, they are where you go out and pick one-star reviews, and then you read them with a snotty attitude and a very weird accent, because you're basically insulting these people for not liking the movie. Even though... We have, on occasion, agreed with the core of what they're saying. <laughs> but they say it in a way where you're like, are you kidding? You took the time of your life to type that half of a sentence? Yeah. So here they come. Okay. <clears throat> one star reviews. First one. By Stonebreak. He says, I really wanted to like this movie as Carell is my favorite actor. But it was awful. It was almost like they wanted to play middle and not make the character gay and have him as this middle-of-the-road not-gay who likes wearing women's shoes to appeal to the straight crowd. I think it would have appealed to both groups if they would have strayed from the story a bit for the sake of the story. I realise it was based on true events, but it was very hard to relate to. (laughs) (laughs) So that's why that person didn't like it. Which part of that's hard to relate to? Hmm. Hmm. So if the guy is who he is and Zemeckis is telling about him, then why would we add, why would you add things to it? And also, that isn't what the movie's about. That's not what the story is about. Well, if that's what you think of that one, you're going to It's about love this somebody one. being violent toward another human being based on a preconceived notion about a bias, a prejudice, a hatred that they have for something that that person represents, not that that person is doing anything to them or in any way, shape, or form, harming them back. So the other person who's violent decides, as a hate crime, to beat up or harm or kill the other person based on nothing but ideas in their head. So you want to feed that and make it more of a thing. Shut up. All right. Let's delete that guy from IBMDB. Jaeger says, you're going to love this one. Okay. He says More than that last one? <laughs> he says, screw Hollywood. According to Hollywood. Right According to Hollywood, everyone is a white supremacist if you don't like wearing women's shoes. Having women take care of every aspect of your life and acting like a complete loser. Very creative film, but the propaganda is so thick that the anti-male propaganda this garbage was trying to sell. Oh my god, that's another person who's fucked in the head. How is it anti-male? I know, it wasn't at all, was it? It's about a man who has made choices to cope with his own difficulties without putting more damage into the world. Yep. How, 
that is a man who represents, could represent men, but instead you think the people who beat him up represent men, which is a problem of yours, not of the movie. This guy says, This movie was not as advertised. I was not expecting to see a movie play out over a man's fetish for high heels and undressed Barbie dolls. Certainly not family friendly. Certainly not. We wouldn't want any children to understand that some people have a different way of living their life. That would be terrible. That would be so terrible. Uh, let's get to another one. You're making me feel like I felt earlier when I went to the store. And there were people at the store. This guy says, <laughs> where did the money go? people invading my home. <laughs> where did the money go? This had a $40 million budget. Really? Who got the money? It's not very good. There's Barbie quality. It's, it's just not very good. There's Barbie quality animation on display, and I'm talking those five dollar DVDs you get from Costco. <laughs> <laughs> what is that? <laughs> there must That's be funny. There must be some really cheesy Barbie DVDs in Costco. Is all That's I can. Hilarious. Seriously, this, this guy says, "I'm watching this, hoping it gets better, but it didn't. I just find Steve Carroll." It doesn't spell it right. Close enough. An unlikely actor. I don't know why. Unlikely. I get really fed up of dolls and just don't get why people would want to look at photos of dolls. I obviously feel very sorry for the guy in real life and truly awful for what happened, but I don't connect with him at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that one's fair. That's an honest, fair representation of they watched it, they're neutral. It sounds like just neutral about it, like they don't get it. But they're willing to just let it be, whereas someone else would be like, worst movie ever. <laughs> Let's have a couple more. Uh, please. Oh, please. Um, all right. I don't want one that's really long, so I'm not going for that one. Um, it's not like the show at all. Jim and Pam weren't even in the movie. None of the people were even in it. Why is it called The Office? This guy is in the wrong page, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, that's a joke. Yeah, I do too. Um, if you're looking for an uplifting, self-motivating movie, watch something else. There are better examples elsewhere. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Gonna have a reference, a list? Do you have a spreadsheet of all the examples, please? I've never been let down so much by a movie. I was watching it. <laughs> I was waiting for it to be more captivating as the trailers made it seem captivating, but it just dragged on awkwardly the whole time. I mean, me missing something. I don't know, but I'm absolutely considering leaving the theater. Oh, she, so you're watching the they movie? They were watching this oh, while it was on. Oh, my God. I'll make, I'll make this brief. While there is some very interesting photography... Too much, it's too long, it's not brief enough. <laughs> ...and cinematic turns. And it's a very good performance by Steve Carell in a thankless role. This film is a very sanitized retelling of a true story. To everyone here with the 8 out of 10 star reviews who can't figure out why the movie was piled on by critics, watch the original documentary, giving the jarring disconnect between the tenor of that film and the true reality of it. I'm surprised Carell even took this role. I mean, yeah. we know what happened in the real thing. Yeah. This is not a documentary. We know that. Yeah, another problem a lot of people have. Yes. Dividing, being able to get their brain to go, this is 80% fiction, 
because it's for entertainment purposes, to also tell me a tale about a person who existed, some moral or coping or human thing about this person and what they went through. And over here is the documentary, which is basically a filmmaker who follows around the real person with the camera, talks to the real person, gets the real person's perspective, hopefully without flowering it up or over-dramatizing how they edit it or whatever. So you're just getting the real person to tell you their own story. Uh, Two different things, people. And finally, this horrific review from from, from, horrific. Some, tra- from some tragic um, okay. guys who decided to write this. And he says, Hacky, emotionally manipulative, trash, appealing to women who love to cry, fellow dudes... You better stay far away from this one unless you want to start getting your period. Oh, my. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So, yeah, that guy. There's so much hatred for women in the world. And that's true. That's not me. That's not me. I'm not a feminist person. I would probably be if I was behind every single thread of what it's about. But I'm not. Just like I'm not vegan. I'm vegetarian, but I'm not vegan. We can have a mix and match. But... I understand the idea of it, but there is so much hatred for women. It is, it's, it's like, it's scary. And in the man, in the man's world, um, (laughs) this movie specifically, anything that is not that idea of a man, the idea of that, what he just portrays is also hate, hated. Yes. Such as this man who wears, you're right. This man is doing nobody any harm wearing a pair of high heels, but So is it the perception of weakness that some people try to pretend that they hate because, in fact, they themselves are nothing? What happened there was that comment from from IMDb took this whole movie full circle to that guy who commented that thing is like the guy who would go and kick this guy's head in because they can't cope with something that's not male like them. Like, not to them, it's not exactly male. Yeah, the creation of what men are supposed right. to be, which is the thing we should all be angry about. Yes. You know? Because um, you, people are, you know, people are people. Right? <laughs> if we're so wise. If you, well, you know, if you, how can it offend somebody so bad that they have to go and beat the shit out of this guy that he wears high heels? In, in his own time, he's not wearing them yeah. for you. It's just, it's, it boggles my mind. But I understand why it happens, because people are like that person who commented on that. Right? Absolutely, and it's very frustrating. And they're the people who won't ever get this movie or watch it, because they might somehow become more feminine after watching it. And that will, you know, then they'll need beating up, I guess. That's fine. I mean, we all get angry, right? We all get angry and feel like I'm going to punch you in the face. We all do. It is not a, there's no exception. You can pretend that you don't, but you do. If you're out in the world and you're facing down with people who frustrate you, if your reaction is to just bottle up and walk away, then probably your reaction was, I would rather smack you in the face, but I'm going to walk away, right? We have it in us. It's the way we kind of react that when that adrenaline pumps up and you're like, what if, you know, you're just like, I would rather karate chop you in your throat right now to shut you up than to listen to another word that comes out of your mouth. But we don't, we don't do it, but that is, but not doing it and feeling like I want to deal with the world in a kinder, softer way. 
that is what everyone seems to hate. Yeah, true. Like, like it's... Because what if, if you could snap your fingers, movie reference, snap your fingers, and every single person, the, the violent nature against other humans, all of it, not just, in, not just pick and choose. I mean, every single one, it d- melted away. And the world was just, the human world was just about surviving, creating, innovating, progressing. And there was, there was nothing about competition or tearing anyone down or hating anyone how how could you, if you could erase all of it? Yes, you can't erase all of it. I know this, so there's always going to be an asshole. But what if you could? There would be people who wouldn't want it that way. True. That's that boggles my mind. So bonus features on this Blu-ray: there are deleted scenes, Marwin's citizens, a visionary director, building Marwin, and living dolls. We watched all of them, and they're pretty standard, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Unfortunately, there's not anything really about the real life guy. I think that's fair because the that's kind of up exists. to him. Also. Yeah. And, you know, it's his choice. So I get it. I get it. I mean, yeah. I would like to have more, but I understand. It but, is his life we're talking about. Yeah. But the extras are really focused on these, how they made the, this movie, uh, the CG Robert Zemeckis gets focused on. You know, it's it's fine for what it is, but I would I wanted some more information about the real thing, but... My search on Google and looking at Wikipedia and getting a hold of this documentary, which is on Netflix, by the way, the uh, original actual documentary about this story, mm. which makes a good, if, you, if you're interested after watching this movie, the real life thing, you can get it there. So um, highly recommended by me. And uh, what about you? Yeah. I mean, I'm giving it a 10 out of 10. Nice. If there isn't anything that I would change and it had everything, including just, like, fun, crazy graphics mixed with gut-wrenching realities about humanity. I mean, what more could you really want? And Steve Carell putting in this great performance. Mm -hmm. Um, Leslie Mann also. I I don't think there's a... Personally, it's really... Yeah, I would probably give it 10 out of 10 as well. Nice! So, yeah, we're we're like the experts of liking the movies that the masses (laughs) seem to don't don't like. Because I love, like... Man of Steel, and nobody likes it. They're all like, oh, not nobody. That's not fair. It's You're kind not of the universally. only one. It isn't universally. First of all, we don't know how other creatures on other planets feel about it. That's the universe. If yes. you want me to be snobby about it, I can. But I can't say I really liked Batman versus Superman. <laughs> What's wrong with you, you loser? <laughs> Jeez. Um. Anyway, movie recommendations. Well, before I do that, thanks to Universal for sending us a copy of this movie for review. Next week, we are reviewing the movie Anna, which is Luc Besson's new movie. And uh, that will be next week. Movie recommendations, talking of movies that were universally not liked, and it's one of my favorite movies. I even own the artwork book of this movie, and it's Sucker Punch. And it actually fits in really well with this movie, doesn't it, Sidtok? Yes. It's a similar similar trauma that's been um imposed on a person because someone else was violent or did horrible things and their coping is inside of them yep the best they can do and it's what i kept thinking of even though sucker punch is not based on anything real it's that idea that somebody's so hurt they Mm -hmm. escape to their own little world and everything's better and they're more empowered in that world i mean that one doesn't seem better 
No, but she's very that? empowered in she's that She's empowered, world. but it's not better. No. It's, it's a really cool movie, Sucker Punch. It's Zack Snyder before he did all the DC stuff. Um, I'm sure, it, well, like I say, it was disliked a lot. People said it was style over substance, which yeah, it kind of is, because Zack Snyder is like that. But uh, I really, I just think the aesthetic of it, and I really liked the backstory, which is this weird mental asylum slash brothel. It was very odd. So uh, and my other one is Small Soldiers. Do you remember that movie? Yes. It was a um, CG movie, like at the very early dawn of CG movies, really. And it was like the G.I. Joes and the army men and everybody all came to life and they're battling against the bad guys in a kid's bedroom. And Sylvester Stallone was one of the voices, I think. And I don't ever see it mentioned much, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, it probably like looks very dated because it was like Toy Story time when the first Toy Story came out and it was a DreamWorks one. And it's probably, I mean, I've not looked at it for a long time, but I bet it's, you know, CG ages, doesn't it? Due to the nature of it, it just gets better. And then you're like, oh, wow, that looks, but it's a cool story of like, you know, it's like this soldiers coming to life. So what are your um, recommendations? My recommendations are the documentary that came before this movie, which is called Marwen Call, Mm -hmm. M-A-R-E. W-E-N-C-O-L, which represents three different people's names. Just watch it and figure that out. And the other one, I was trying to think of any other movie, documentary, or otherwise that I've seen or that I know of, because I haven't actually seen this one, but uh, I know of it, uh, that is about someone so focused on the thing they're doing that people looking at it from the outside, because they can't understand it, are like, ugh. What a weirdo. And it's Girls in the Mist. Oh, yeah. About that lady. Fossey. Correct. And did you know she was horribly murdered? I did, actually. She was murdered in 1985, and they believe it was poachers in the area because she was anti-poaching, obviously. She cared about preserving the wildlife and the the area. Um, But she was like, a machete went through her head? (sighs) Terrible. But that's a person who committed to isolating herself and, you know... She didn't do the thing we all do. We get the job, we do the thing, we have the house, we have the car. <sighs> Snoozerama, right? She just decided to pick a thing and that she believed in and did it. But from the outside in, it's like, huh. And she was also coping with her own things of trauma from her father and some other experiences in her life that, you know, being alone and focusing on this was her coping. So, gorillas in the mist. All right, so uh, games and a Scully stuff. I have been uh, Xbox Game Pass. I mentioned it last week. You can get a whole two months of Game Pass for $1. So if you want to play the brand new release Gears 5, which is the Gears of new Gears of War game, you can actually play it there for $2. Um, I think it's actually really good value. So Gears 5, I've played the campaign start to finish this week. Um, I think it's my favorite Gears game. You know right. what I'm saying? Yeah. Out of all the all of them. Um, yeah, it does have its issues, and its issues are the first act of the game is just like a, a normal Gears game. It's action-packed. It's A to B. You're just, you know, you're going down these monster corridors, as you might think, you know, 
there's a story playing out, but you're actually being led in a direction. And there's nothing, you know, it's like a Gears game. And then when you get to Act 2, for the first time in the Gears franchise, they made like an open world area where you're on this like, it's like a cross between a, uh, what do you you call it? Jet skiing. It's like jet skiing, but it's on the sand or on the snow in this instance. So you're uh, driving this vehicle and you're skiing behind it and you're going around this open world looking for these dots on the map. Well, they're not dots on the map. They're actually flags in the wilderness. You drive around, you see a flag, you head towards the flag. And then at each flag, there'll be a mission to do. Like, oh, here's a, here's a communications tower. Let's go and investigate. And there'll be some skirmishes in those areas. Now, while that seems cool, that there's this open world exploration element, the whole world is completely devoid of anything. There's just It's just a big white wilderness with you on this thing And you drive until you see a flag and then you get off the thing and do a little mission. Get back on the thing, look for another flag. There's like six or seven flags in the area. So it isn't really an open world. It's really just like a mission select screen. It's like, do you get what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like It's like, here's an open world. Every time you find a flag, you're going to do a mission. I would rather it just be, here's your missions. Go and do your missions. Because it ends up, you're just driving around looking for these flags, and there's nothing else to find, just the flags. So Now, that happens, and then it goes back to being a normal Gears game. And then for the third and final act, they do it again. They do the, the, It is another open world, but it's not in the snow this time, it's in the desert. And you go around, and you find these different missions, and... I found that it really ruined the pace of the game, like because it, like, it slows to a crawl because you're looking for stuff. I just want to be, like, fighting in a Gears game. But then the last three hours of this game, and it's about 15 hours long, the last three hours are just balls-to-the-wall Gears action. Using your chainsaw, the enemies are coming, there's all these new enemies, these giant mechs. It's like this massive battle for this city. There's a big giant worm chasing you that's like Dune, like, like a big massive thing. And uh, it's just solid action. It never lets up. It's about three hours long, this whole scenario at the end. And then it ends on a satisfying note. It, it, yes, there's going to be another game. And yes, it does set up another game. But it's not like a cliffhanger where you're like, oh, what's going to happen? It's like, no, they're going to do this next time. So I think overall it was good. I just... I was listening to the developers this week and they said that the open world thing, they want to take that further in the next game and have it to be all open world. I think that's the wrong idea because I see the Gears games as a sh- like a shooter, not like go and find things. It's more like shoot stuff. Mm-hmm. And when you take away the go and shoot stuff and put more of the findy thing part in it, it becomes a different game. It's not quite as good. So, but... I have to say about Gears 5, it is gorgeous. Like, it, the whole thing is, it's, there's so much going on. It's really next-gen kind of level stuff that's going on. In a on. good way. Yeah, it's just, there's times where you're like, how is there so many things on the screen and everything's blowing up and it's not slowing down? It just looks good, everything's smooth. It's 60 frames a second all the time. It is... Technically, very, very good. And usually, these days, games, they have performance issues. This one, you can tell it was really polished. 
So, you know, you can buy this game. It's like 60 bucks, like a normal game. Or you can get this Game Pass, and it's included in the Game Pass. And included in the Game Pass, it's the ultimate edition of the game, so you get everything. So I would just go for the $2 option and see. You know, it's like you can play it all the way through in a weekend. So, yeah, that's Gears 5. Um, It's the best Gears I've played, easily, I would hands down say. And, you know, they're pretty classic, the first three. So what's for dinner? You tell them. You're very excited about this. uh, Yeah, I've been following (laughs) the story of Impossible, the company Impossible. They've made a meat substitute. um, It's plant-based, is how they like to say it. Plant-based. Yeah, it's like a plant-based ingredient that emulates meat, basically. That's their thing, isn't it? It's not like, it's like, oh, this is a thing that's like meat, but it's not got meat, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, Controversial, but yes, that's, yeah. that's the gist of it. So we're vegetarians, and when I was a meat eater, I think my favorite burger was the Burger King Whopper, <laughs> I have to say. So they've te- Burger King have teamed up with Impossible, and they've made the Impossible Whopper, which is a completely meat-free Whopper. And um, I've, you know, it's been how many years since I've had a Whopper? Ten. Over ten. Over ten years. So We've been vegetarian for ten years. So it's distant, the the memory of what a Whopper tastes like. But I, do, I did love them and ate a lot of them. What do you love about it? It's just like my favorite burger. It's like not too thick. It's got really good condiments and... You know, just the right amount of onion and lettuce and there's mayonnaise. <laughs> you know, it's just, I don't know, it's just the the bun's really good. It's like the right size. So this Impossible Whopper, we've been having a bit of an ordeal, like, because Jefferson City, where we live, didn't have a Burger King. Until... Well, we had a Burger King, and then it closed on the one road, turned into a Dunkin' Donuts, and the other Burger King was built. And then this spring, we had a tornado. And that Burger King happened to be in the path of that tornado and has been closed down from about the week that Impossible Burgers hit Burger King yeah. until now. <laughs> so I've been following Not Impossible. to diminish the effect of the horrible tornado, us not getting an Impossible Burger, absolutely zero on the scale of important things. So we're glad that they're all put back together over there, for the most part, on that side of town. But long story short, we went and got an Impossible Burger... And it is the best veggie burger I have ever eaten. And I love... We've had all veggie burgers, I think, right? No. No, there's other brands. I, I mean, we, we've had most of the big ones. Morningstar, Boca, mm-hmm. Beyond Meat, Tofurky. We've had most of those. Tofurky, I don't think, has a burger. And I have to say, you know, I love Morningstar. They're my favorite one. The Griller, Griller's Prime by Morningstar. I think they're delicious. But this Impossible Burger with all the... I still think that this burger, because it's got it, it's cooked in that grill machine, right? Yeah. That, they give it, that they've installed. And then the condiments, ketchup, mustard, pickle, onion, tomato, slice of cheese. That's what makes it. And if we did that to a Morningstar Burger, I think you would be equally... If we were somehow to get that char grill... I think so too. But, like I said to you, the actual texture of the Impossible Burger meat part is different to Morningstar. It's less melty and yeah, more true. chewy. You know? And I really like that. Anyway, if you've not had an Impossible Whopper and you do like Whoppers, the meat version, um, 
try the impossible one and see how close it is to meat because I'm kind of far removed from the meat version. Maybe you're a person who eats a impossible. I mean, eats just a regular Whopper all the time. Be interesting to see what those people think. Like I know one of my friends loves Whoppers and he's a meat eater, mm-hmm. you know, and he probably would try an impossible one just for the novelty of it to see what it's like. I'm interested to see how close it is from them people, you know, whether those people are like, Ugh, no, it's nothing like meat or it tastes gross or whatever. But to me, it's really delicious. I will eat one today, I think. Are we eating one today? Yes, we will. That's that's the point of this conversation. <laughs> yeah, we're having one today for our dinner. Well, we did discover, though, because we don't eat a lot of fries or anything anymore. They don't really trying want to fries. Let, they weren't that great. No. So we got we the won't. meal, but I'd rather just have the drink and the burger, yeah. and not the actual fry part. If they have other things to substitute, like a salad, we'll do that. Yeah. But um, it was very good. So, Sid Talk, what is your advice? My advice is, let me find it. Okay. It's very small text. Other than don't be an asshole, which I think is kind of general, you know, like these guys beating up this guy in the movie. Um, sometimes I wonder, I listen to people and because I like going to my job. I like the tasks that I do. I like doing the stuff there. I like being married to you. I like the oh, things that we you. do. <laughs> I make, I'm blending you in. See, I like uh, the, te- the little projects that I do. Like right now I'm hand painting a banner for my hometown homecoming celebration. I like working on my gardening stuff, learning that. Every single thing to me is all together, right? It's all one. Nothing in particular makes me miserable or feel like, oh, what's the point of this whole freaking life except just to get through each day, right? What's the point? But sometimes you get the feeling like, what am I doing? <laughs> I'm not like doing anything. I'm not accomplishing anything on a grand scale. And then you start looking around. And the thing is, if you ever wonder what you're doing with your life, you're not alone. And I know people say, oh, my children are my life. Fine. I don't have children, so I don't identify with that. But the thing is, what if your children do nothing and then their children do nothing? Then what was it all for? I'm just saying. I don't, I feel like that's the easy answer for a lot of people. It's all, fine if all, that is my religion answer. is my life. Yeah, if that's the thing, I just still don't get it because it's still not doing anything. Like I am never going to cure a disease or save a bunch of people, rescue anyone, do a tracheotomy on the floor of a bar. We just saw that on, <laughs> on a TV show, which we've all seen it on MASH and other movies and stuff. I'm not saving people. I'm not contributing to society in any big way by I don't protest anything. I don't take a stand on anything in particular like big scaled more about just me or maybe people close to me but if I, if you look around and you start really paying attention to people nobody knows what they're doing like even if you're the guy who decides to like you know go on a mission to some war-torn country and be a doctor there to save people even that guy or lady is going to be laying on their cot after a long day and everything's gone wrong and everything's really shitty and think, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing here? Right? The three or 10 or 50 people they saved, it might escape them for the moment and they're still going to be like, oh, what am I doing with my life? Right? Even the highest level people accomplishing things will have that thought. And if you just look at your life and what I, the way I look at it is I am not impacting all of humanity but the humanity that's right up close to me, you, 
my family, my friends, and sort of a couple layers out from there, their family, their friends, you know, because you can kind of touch upon people a little bit further out from your own personal circle. If you do anything that's positive or lifts them up for a minute or solves a problem for them or feel make them feel supported or loved, or appreciated, respected, even for five minutes, that changes their life for the day, that makes their life a little bit better. That is what I see as my sort of like non-world changing life. <laughs> so don't, if you think that like, I'm just sitting here listening to this dumb movie podcast. <laughs> uh, excuse me. <laughs> Just wasting my life away while I'm driving to work or riding the train to work to have a meaningless job and go home and sit and watch TV all night and do it all again tomorrow. Like, what am I doing? That's fine. Like, that. There's, there is no rule about this. You exist. We exist. This is it. This is the universe. And at some point in your life, every day of your life, you probably impact somebody you don't even know. You know, in yourself, you also count. So if you get yourself up and you feel like shit and you talk yourself into feeling better, you've just made the world a better place. Because five minutes ago, you were going to be a dickhead all day, right? You were going to be grumpy or grouchy or snotty to somebody, but you looked in the mirror and were like, no, (laughs) I am going to cheer myself up. And then you do something and you're like, okay, I can do this. You just improved the world by whatever degree you were about to cause a little bit of grief. You know what I'm saying? Like you were going to be bitchy to your coworker and now you're not. So that you've just done something with your life. Nice. I don't know if there's advice in there, but no, there, that's it. That's the end. I have no your, grace. Your exit. advice this week is no advice. <laughs> I have no advice. The, the thing is you matter and you count in what you're doing. If you're not causing harm or destroying or just trying to destruct something because you don't like it or you're frustrated, as long as you're just living your life, you're making things better just by being. That's true. I don't know if that's true, but it sounds really good. It does. All right. So what else sounds really good is that we're on Twitter and Facebook. You can also catch us on aschoolie.com, Instagram, and all those places that you can find podcasts, including YouTube. You can email feedback to me at aschoolie, aschoolie.com. Don't email Sid Talk. You can, but it's better to look at me on Instagram. And stay classy, Mr. Steve Carell and Mr. Robert, or Bob, as they call him in the extras a lot. Bob. Zemeckis. Right on. And this was a 10 out of 10 from us. Yeah. Even though we don't have a number scale, we <laughs> gave it 10 out of 10. So, yeah. Um, and I'm going to say, think for yourself or someone will do it for you. 